Lord, I feel uh, uh, coming in here this morning, uh, Lord, I'm, first I'm just uh, grateful that your promises are true and that, uh, that all your promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. And um, Lord, I'm, I missed the singing this morning. God, I missed praising you, the one who is worthy of all glory and praise and honor through song. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that, you're, uh, that your grace would be sufficient this morning. God, that whatever, uh, whatever it is that we are experiencing or dealing with, uh, Lord, mountaintop highs or valley lows, God, I pray that you would meet us this morning um, in this uh, really difficult task, text. Um, Lord, I pray that, that uh, as we examine the hardness of heart, uh, the warning against the hardness of heart, I pray, God, that your grace would prevail, uh, that we would, uh, those who belong to you would, would uh, experience no condemnation because we know that's from the devil. God, I pray that if there are those here this morning that have yet to put their faith and trust in you, where they still have a heart of stone, God, I pray that you would bring the fullness of conviction to their heart, and then you would transform it from one degree of glory to another. We love you. We thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can believe in you uh, in the midst of all circumstances. So we love you. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. So we are in the book of Hebrews. We, uh, we left off in that last time, I think November 16th, something like that. And uh, we finished up in uh, chapter, chapter six, uh, excuse me, chapter three, verse six. And I've titled this sermon today, uh, take heart, take care of your heart. Chances are you won't live a long or healthy life if you don't take care of your heart. The heart, the human heart, is the key to longevity. Most, not all humans, most humans are born with a healthy heart. But over time, as a result of an unhealthy lifestyle, combined with aging, our heart starts to weaken. And if we don't pay attention to the health of our heart, with a proper diet and exercise and rest, we greatly increase the chance of heart disease. Spiritually speaking, humans are born with an unhealthy heart, with a dead heart, Scripture tells us, with a hard heart. And we have a heart at birth that leads to death. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And I want to remind you today that if you know Jesus Christ, that if you have been given a new heart, if your heart of stone has been transformed into a heart of flesh, that you will not get according to the fruit of your deeds that you will get according to the fruit of Jesus' deeds, of his work, finished work on the cross. He said, we are born with a heart that is self-seeking, that is um, naturally grumbling, and we want to live our life our own way. 
Jesus came to give us a new heart that gives us new hope with new desires that will never fail us. And we experience this new reality of a new heart as it is tested over time. You see, the only proof of a new heart is testing over time and how we respond to that testing. A new person with a new heart will look more and more like Jesus in the face of trials and testing. God tests his beloved through trials. It seems like we talk about this a lot because God's word brings it up a lot that Jesus said that in this world, what, we will have trouble. But we can take heart because he's overcome the world. God tests his beloved through trials so we might know the joy of clinging to him and seeing his all-sufficient grace carry us through any and every trial all the way to the end. Unfortunately, there are many who started the race well, but then the trials of life harden their hearts and they fall away from the living God. Today I've titled the sermon, Take Care of Your Heart. Hardness of heart results from grumbling and testing God and is rooted in unbelief. Hardness of heart comes when we start to think we deserve a life that is free of trial and believing that we are free to live our life however we want to live our life. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, that we finished on back in November, it says this in the second half of verse 6, we are his house, the living God's house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We are his house or his household, where sons and daughters, where brothers and sisters made holy and given a, surely, a, a heavenly calling. And how do we arrive in this position? If we were born with a dark, uh, stone-cold heart, it wasn't our efforts. It was impossible for us to do good or to obey the Lord. But by faith or trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, we were given a new heart that brought us into a new family. We can have confidence in knowing that we're part of the eternal household of God, not because we once prayed a prayer, not because we just once um, turned from our sin in that moment, but because we have a growing confidence or faith in the Word of God and the finished work of Christ. And this isn't necessarily a straight line confidence in Jesus' words and works. There are certainly times of doubting and struggling. I don't want to tell you that, that um, if you struggle or you doubt in any way that you should doubt your salvation. Paul tells us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. But we have a sure hope. We have a sure confidence. And we can have a sure hope and we can have a sure confidence. And today the author of Hebrews is going to talk to us more about that. And I want to remind you that this life in Christ with a renewed heart is about what? Direction, not perfection. Because there's only one perfect one. And we will be perfected one day when we're face-to-face -face with Jesus. But in the meantime, this life, this probationary period, if you will, is about direction. 
But the author today gives us a warning against heading in the wrong direction and hardening our hearts. So let's look at verse, verses 7, 8, and 9. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my, work for four, my works for 40 years. Like any good preacher, the writer of Hebrews uses scripture to make his point. Here in chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. That's convenient. As the Holy Spirit says, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired the words of, the, of Psalm 95. And a thousand years later, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired the words of the author of Hebrews. And it's the same Spirit of God who speaks to us today. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The author of Hebrews is writing to encourage those who experienced an exodus to finish well. So he pleads and warns them not to harden their hearts today when they hear God's voice. And the term today is not necessarily a 24-hour period of time. It's an era of opportunity. Today is a time for encouragement and a warning for believers to follow God's ways, forsaking the path of unbelief. Today when we prayed before the service, um, uh, Chase prayed, I think it was Mark 9, where, um, where the man who asked Jesus to come heal his son, Jesus asked him, do you believe? Do you believe that I can heal him? And the man goes, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's very much about what the, the author of Hebrews is talking about today, is that, um, is that we need to fight for belief. That you might believe that Jesus died for your sins, and that you're a sinner. But there's a, but there's a constant believing as we go along, believing that God is good, and that he is with us, and that he's trustworthy, particularly in the midst of trials. So I want to turn our attention to Psalm 95, because it's the, it's the key that unlocks the meaning of this section of Hebrews today. Every Jew knew this psalm by heart, Psalm 95. Because the beginning of this psalm was a call to worship every, every Sabbath evening in the synagogue. Every Sabbath evening they would read, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And these solemn words were repeated week after week, year after year, to call, as a call to carefully listen to the voice or the word of God. And Hebrew ears would perk up at the sound of the warning against doing what the Israelites did when they, after they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. Listen to Psalm 95, second half of verse 7 through verse 9. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, or as at the rebellion, or at the grumbling, as on the day at Massah, or testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, and put me to the proof though they had seen my work. Less than two months after God delivered his people from enslavement and affliction in Egypt, they were, they were in Egypt for over 400 years, 430 years, they were afflicted and in enslavement. And in less than two months after they were delivered from 430 years of affliction and slavery, they hardened their hearts. 
In Exodus chapter 17, we see that Meribah is the location where the people rebelled and grumbled against God on the day of Massa, which means testing. They had begun so well. They had such an amazing Exodus story, but they didn't finish well. Their hearts had hardened against the Lord, and the root of their heart was unbelief. Not unbelief that they were delivered. They knew that they were delivered, but an unbelief in trusting in God day by day in the midst of testing and in the midst of trials. Two short months before their hearts hardened in Exodus 17. 600,000 men on foot. It was estimated to be a million and a half people with women and children were delivered from Egypt from 430 years of slavery and affliction and brought through the waters of the Red Sea. And they were headed to a land of milk and honey, a land of rest that God had promised them. And I want to walk you through part of their journey this morning so that you can feel the weight of their sin and how ridiculous their unbelief was. In Exodus 14, 31, we're told that Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his, and his servant Moses. They were resolved in their faith. They believed in Yahweh. And a few verses later, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 21 in Exodus, their faith remains strong. And we witness God's people singing his praises for their radical exodus from slavery to Egypt and for destroying their enemies and giving them a hope or a future and a final rest. Now, we don't have time to read all through this, this, uh, this uh, Exodus 15, but I'd like to give you a few um, snippets or excerpts so you can enter into the joy of their deliverance. This is from Exodus 14.31 through Exodus 15.21. Just a couple of snippets. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and my song. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember when you experienced the weight of your sin for the very first time and you experienced the forgiveness of God? Do you remember that first time when he canceled the record of debt that stood against you? Do you remember the rest you experienced in knowing that you now belong to your creator and his promise to be with you until the end of the age when you would be welcomed into his eternal and glorious presence? Every single Christian started in strong awe of his amazing grace. How are you doing now? How's your heart? Do you have a growing faith or faith is diminishing? Three days after this song of praise in Exodus 14 and 15, glorifying their deliverer, things started to change in the hearts of God's people. 
The Lord tested them for the first time through the water, uh, through giving them water that wasn't fit to drink. It was bitter water, sour water. And their response wasn't to rest in the goodness and the promises of the Lord, but instead they grumbled against God's representative Moses saying, what should we drink? And in spite of their grumbling, the Lord provided sweet water. He provided them water. Then in Exodus 16, verses 1 through 3, 45 short days after their deliverance, after they, after they departed Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, the Lord tested his people again. You see, the Lord tests his people. He gives us trials. Not because he's a, a sadist, not because he wants to cause pain, but because he knows that we're prone to wander. And he knows that we'll experience his nearness and embrace his promises in new and fresh ways in the midst of testing and trials. So in Exodus 16, 1 through 3, 45 short days after they had left Egypt and had been, been delivered from affliction and slavery, the Lord tested his people again. And once again, the people of Israel grumbled against Moses because there seemed to be a shortage of food this time. Remember the grumbling? No toilet paper? There's a supply chain problem where we can't always get what we want at the store when we want it. Their response wasn't to rest in the goodness and promises of the Lord, but instead they grumbled against God's representative Moses saying, Oh, let me, let me go. Yeah, so, so here we are in, in chapter 16. No food, no, no meat on the shelves. They, they, they accuse Moses of bringing them into the wilderness to die of hunger. 45 days after, after being delivered of 430 years of slavery and affliction, they had forgotten the faithfulness of God to deliver them out of their affliction. They had already forgotten what they were delivered from, and all they remember were the good old days of eating meat whenever they wanted to have meat. And in spite of their grumbling, the Lord once again provided. Then in Exodus 17, 1 through 7, the people grumble against Moses a third time out of concern for lack of provision. But this time was different. The hearts of the people were starting to harden. And it says that not only did the Lord test them, but they were now testing the Lord. And when we start to test the Lord, that's when we know that there's hardness of heart that is setting in. Let me read Exodus 17, 1-7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commitment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, take them with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. 
And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Have you asked that question before? In the midst of trial, testing? It's an honest question at times. Their grumbling continued for 40 years. In spite of God providing for 40 years. And for 40 years he was a good shepherd and he was consistently with them and consistently forgiving them. For 40 years, the people were consistent as well in rebelling and grumbling and disbelieving. God had been faithful and they were unfaithful. He worked and they wandered. They were happy to praise and submit to him when everything was hunky-dory, but they grumbled and rebelled when trials or tests came their way. They did not rest in the promises of the Lord. Instead, they rebelled and grumbled. As a result, their hearts became hard. God's just and loving response to those who have experienced deliverance yet continue to grumble and not trust the Lord is discipline. And we don't like to talk about that. And we're going to get to that more in more detail when we get to Hebrews 12. Because God disciplines those he loves. Those he doesn't love, those who don't love him will get disciplined one day with the judgment of God. But right now he disciplines gently and lovingly his children. And we see this in verses 10 through 11. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They, they have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And none but Caleb and, and, and Joshua did. None entered Canaan but those two. Even though there was a general pardon granted those who did not make it to the promised land, we don't know who was saved from their sin. So, so the, the lesson here, the grand and terrible lesson here in this passage of, of that, that brings us back to Israel's history is that it is possible to begin well and end poorly. In fact, the, the, this tragic human tendency dominates much of human spiritual experience. If you belong to the Lord and start to harden your heart against him, he will not allow you to rest in your sin. He will not allow you to enjoy your sin. This is, this is part of my story. This is part of my story that when I professed faith in Christ, I believed I saw the way to my sin. I understood that I was a sinner deserving eternal separation from God. You see, I always understood that there was a God up there that was angry with me. But for the first time, I understood that there was a loving God who sent his son to die in my place, to take my sin upon himself. That he who knew sin became my sin, that I might become the righteousness of God. But I didn't believe that that I could find ultimate happiness and joy and comfort and peace in that. So I started living my life the way that I wanted to live my life. I started to follow my way, the way of the world instead of the way of the Lord. 
And I'm not sure I was saved at that point. But I, if I was a bet man, I would bet I was, even though I rebelled for 12 years. And you know why? Because the Lord disciplined me time and time again that my sin never tasted good. There was a deep conviction. I couldn't hide from the hound of heaven. God in his kindness disciplined me back into a place where my heart was joyfully, not always, not perfectly, but joyfully submitted to his ways. If you know his ways and willingly to choose over and over and over again to rebel against his ways, your heart is hardening. If you can rest in your disobedience and there's no discipline, I want to I call you repentance today. God is a God who disciplines whom he loves. The unbelief of God's people and their rebellion cost them the promised land. We see that in Numbers chapter 20. Now I want to say this. Scripture's clear that if you know Jesus Christ, if you've been given a new heart, you cannot lose your salvation. Hear me on that. That's called the doctrine of eternal security, and we see it all throughout Scripture. But we also see all throughout Scripture that there are those who started well, but that when the trials of life and the lure of riches got in the way, they abandoned their faith. And what that tells us is they didn't lose their salvation, but there was no root. And there's a principle. If there's no growing fruit in the life of a Christian, there's no root of salvation. So the security of the believer should bring rest to your weary soul. At the same time, Scripture informs us that all who profess faith in Jesus will preserve, will persevere to the end. It's called the perseverance of the saints. That if you belong to Jesus, you will fight to believe until the end. My wife said the other day, I don't remember what we were talking about, but she says, I'm really trying to trust the Lord. I love that statement. That honors the Lord. It's honest. It's like the man in Mark 9 that, God, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me trust you. I'm going to skip down to verses uh, 16 through 19 um, <clears throat> for further context. Hey, would somebody throw me a bottle of water or something? Not a cup of coffee. <clears throat> I got in here about five this morning, and I've had like nine cups of coffee, and I've had no water. That's supposed to be good for the heart. So let's get down to 16 through 19 to give just a, a little bit more um, context before we get to the main point for us today, which is going to be in uh, verses 12 through 15. He says in verse 16, for thank you so much. Is this filtered? Verse 16, for who were those who, um, here's a couple, these are rhetorical questions with the same answer, all three, uh, all three of these questions. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Speaking back of those that were uh, in Israel. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? The ones who had the great exodus rebelled and fell away. 
Verse 17, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years or was he displeased with? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? Yes, God was provoked for 40 years. But scripture tells us that he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love, forgiving transgressions, but he will no means clear the guilty. That there's no guilty person who has ever lived who will be cleared. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief always leads to disobedience, and unchecked disobedience will lead to a hard heart. Let me say that again. Unbelief will always lead to disobedience. If you don't believe God, if you don't take him at face value, um, it will lead to disobedience. And the more that you disobey, the more your heart becomes seared, your conscience becomes seared, and your heart becomes hard. A hard heart comes from knowing what to do and not doing it over and over and over again. You might be thinking what I heard a friend say recently. How could those people be so ignorant? knowing that they were in slavery and bondage and affliction for 430 years, and God did 10 signs and wonders. He parted the Red Sea. He promised them um, the um, rest in the promised land. And they rebelled? What is wrong with those people? How could those people be so ignorant and quick to grumble and test God after such an amazing deliverance? The author of Hebrews picks up on the theme of Psalm 95 because the audience of Hebrews has an even greater salvation. The Israelites were delivered from slavery in Egypt, but you and me were delivered from the penalty and the power of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. That that first Passover, a lamb was slaughtered. Many lambs were slaughtered. But for our salvation, for our deliverance, the Lamb of God laid down his life. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians that the record of Israel's rebellion and punishment in the wilderness had been preserved for our instruction. Don't just look at it and go, how could they do that? Look in the Word and say, God, am I doing that? Or God, would you keep me from that? Verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you. This was written to, uh, to the Hebrew audience a thousand years after, the, after the, uh, uh, David wrote it in Psalm 95. And it's for us today. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We know we have an unbelieving heart, let's say it again, when we choose, when we knowingly choose over and over again to disobey, to live our life the way that we want to live our life. This is evidence that we're falling away from the living God. Falling away sounds harmless. Well, if I just fall away, I can always come back. But the meaning of these words, falling away, means rebellion against God. It's the beginning of apostasy. And I was just thinking, um, like, what, what are some of the subtle ways that we can unbelieve God, that we can that we not believe God, that might lead to a hardening heart? Let me just give you just an example. 
justifying unforgiveness in your heart. Going through life knowing that you've been forgiven much, but justifying your unforgiveness towards someone who has hurt you. That's a sin of unbelief. You're not believing what God, what God says in Scripture. Here's another one. Justifying not confessing your sin to someone you hurt. Here's another one, a little bit different vein. Walking in condemnation. I know people that profess Christ that don't believe that God can forgive them. And because they don't believe that God can forgive them, they are walking in condemnation. And their heart starts to harden. Here's another one. Not understanding God's love and care for you. That's, that's unbelief. And, and when we disbelieve God, that he loves us and cares for us, that he gives us everything we need, that we're his beloved, we're his delight, when we don't believe that, we start looking for it in other places, which is disobedience. And the longer we disobey or have unchecked disobedience, the harder our heart becomes. And if you've been given a new heart through the new birth, you will not fall away from the living God, and he will never abandon you and revo- or revoke your salvation. This is, this is, once again, is the doctrine of eternal security. But the only way to know if this beautiful doctrine applies to you today and tomorrow and next week and next month is if you finish well, if you persevere. It's not a straight line. If you were to like chart my life, like it's higher highs and higher lows. Higher highs, higher lows. At all, t- we, all of us at different times have doubt and worry and we rebel. But if there's no conviction and if there's no desire to heed his voice and to trust his ways, I urge you to call out to him today to repent. And this isn't just about not being saved. This is, this is about enjoying the goodness of the Lord. That you might have a new heart and you might be stuck in sin. Both of those can be true. But the longer that you stay stuck in your sin, in the sin of unbelief, you're not going to enjoy the blessings and the rest that God has for you in this life to its fullness. We're told in this life by people who peddle happiness to just follow your heart. That we're, we live in a culture of affirmation rather than formation. Live your truth, we're told. Individualism is, uh, is the ultimate value. And relationships and institutions and churches are part of this. Try to validate us, to, to follow your heart. There's just something good in that. Follow your heart. Be who, God, be who you are. Yes, be who you are. But be who God says that you are. When we follow our heart, which is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, 
We become subject to the whims and contradictions of our fickle emotions. I can't trust my heart. And you can't trust your heart. If your heart is hardening and you belong to Him, He will not allow you to rest. You will experience His loving discipline and you will miss out on much of the joy this life in Christ has to offer. If you don't persevere to the end, the Apostle John says in 1 John 2.19, you're not saved. Listen, they went out from us. These were people who were delivered, who, who, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might become plain that they are not of us. Verse 13, he gives us an exhortation that is in 14 that is super practical. And it's a reminder that we need the body of Christ. That this, this service is um, on YouTube. Um, and I think there's a lot of people with not very good reasons that were part of a church family, this church family or other church families, before the pandemic that are not part of it today. They've, they, they've, They've got into um, lazy habits, um, maybe, worst case, not even participating in, in a service online, um, maybe best case, they're watching a service online. But the enemy's going to have a heyday with us if we're not intimately involved in a body of Christ. Uh, Jake Pence gave, like, you didn't listen to his little like 12-minute sermon last week, I'd encourage you to listen to it because it was a reminder of how the body of Christ needs each other. And the author of Hebrews tells us this in verse 13. He says, he says, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. You know what I've seen in the Big C Church, how we've encouraged each other? Not necessarily here, some here. But we've encouraged each other to uh, stack hands on the complaints against the culture. And complaints against politics. And complaints against mass. I don't like mass. I'm not happy about the pandemic. But when we get together in fellowship, and, and it, it becomes like a, 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 a mob. Um, I experience this at, our, um, at, our, at my gym, actually, where, there's, um, where the, the talk every day is about complaining about what people heard on the news. We have a tendency to encourage each other towards complaining about our circumstances and the culture we live in rather than encouraging one another towards the resting in God's providence. Is there anything going on in this world today, yesterday, or tomorrow that is outside the strong right hand in the providence of God? Is there anything? Nothing. And what we know about this God of providence is that he's a good God. That he's a loving God. That he's a delivering God. 
And we know that he gives us tests and trials so that we would experience maximum nearness to him. So instead of piling on and grumbling together, how about we encourage one another that the Lord is with us and that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And then when, when, when the crap storm hits, and it does every day, and there's sadness and there's brokenness, we don't just point a finger in one another's chest and say, get over it. We grieve with one another. And then we point one another back to our good and loving, sovereign deliverer. He says, exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. And today's not, again, not a 24-hour period of time. It's an era. It's a time of grace. It's a time that we live in. It's a probationary time, if you will. It's a dress rehearsal. Today, believe. If you're stuck in sin, you're having a hard time believing in God's promises, cry out to him. Enlist a brother or sister. Say, would you pray with me? Help God give me belief and trust in the midst of hard circumstances. Each day is another opportunity to heed the warning to turn from our sin and to cling to our original confidence. Every day that goes by, when we rationalize and surrender to sin, our heart will become harder and harder. Our conscience becomes seared and it becomes harder to recognize the right path. For our author, the term today is an era of opportunity. So in verse 15, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And if you're here today and you've got the same hard heart that you're born with, you've got a heart of stone, you're going to miss out on the blessings that God has altogether. And I plead with you today to hear his voice, to turn to him, to confess your sin and need for a Savior. Put your full faith and trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. And believers, I want you to be encouraged with Exodus 17 as I close off. In Exodus 17, we saw God's people grumble against Moses and against the Lord because of lack of water or food. They were grumbling because of testing and trial. And in turn, they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And God did not respond by judging his people, his people that had hearts of flesh. Instead, and astoundingly, he responded by being judged for his people. That if you know Jesus Christ, you will never be judged. 
that he was judged for you. He tells Moses in chapter 17, verse 6, he says, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. You see, the God of the, the God of eternity stood before Horeb or Sinai, the place where the law was given, and he was struck for the failure of God's people to trust and obey him. And for all who would trust and obey him, he provides rivers of living water from which God's people drink. So we're told in 1 Corinthians 10.4 that that rock that Moses struck Paul says it was Christ, that Jesus was struck for your sins so that we will never be struck by the wrath and final judgment of our Creator. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of this passage. Thank you that we can um, rest in our deliverance. Again, I think of, of um, the words of the Apostle Paul that in 1 Corinthians 15 where he reminds believers that the gospel that you heard and the gospel that you believed is the same gospel that we stand in. And Lord, I thank you that that once you have grabbed a hold of our heart, once you've turned our heart of stone into a heart of flesh, that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. That there's no sin that can undo your enduring love for your children. But God, I pray that you would show us to how, how in a healthy way to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. And God, would you uh, not allow, would you convict us of sin? Would you convict us of sin? God, I pray that if there's anyone here today that is stuck in sin, that has hidden sin, God, that you would um, shine your light into the darkness of that sin and that they would uh, confess it to you and that they would find forgiveness and a deepening resolve and desire to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not to gain anything, but because they have already gained everything in Christ. And Lord, I do pray that if there's anybody here today that, um, that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus, they have not experienced a deliverance from their sin, from the slavery and affliction of their sin and the enemy. God, I pray that you would deliver them today, I pray. For your glory and for their joy. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?